1: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care Happy New Year.
1: On the night of October 12, 1984, 12-year-old Angela Samoda and her two friends, Anna Kandala and Russell Buchanan, went to the Texas State Fair in Dallas, Texas. Samoda was born in California, but she grew up in Amarillo, Texas. She came to Dallas to attend Southern Methodist University, which is known by its acronym SMU. Samoda was studying computer science and electrical engineering. She was a member of the Zeta Tau Alpha Sorority. Many of her friends said she could light up any room and she had a great love for life. Samoda was dating a young man, Ben McCall, but he didn't go out with her and her friends that night. McCall was a construction worker and he had to work early the next morning, so he decided to stay home. After the fair, the trio went to a few bars, and then they ended up at a members-only club called the Rio Room. Samoda was driving, so she didn't drink much. She was naturally bubbly and outgoing, and at the club, she went from table to table, chatting and flirting. At about 1am, Samoda and her friends left the club. She dropped them both off at home. Then she stopped by Ben McCall's home. She woke him up to say hi. She then used the washroom. After a few minutes, she left and returned to the condo she owned near the SMU campus. She planned on getting up in a few hours to attend a football game. At about 1.45am, McCall got a phone call. It was Samoda and she sounded nervous. She kept rambling and sounded jittery. She said that a strange man was in her apartment. He had asked to use the phone in the washroom. She regretted letting him in. She asked McCall if there was a payphone at the convenience store near her home. He told her that there was. Simona then told the man about the payphone. Then Simona told McCall that she would call him back. But she didn't. McCall became concerned, so he called her back several times, but got no answer. So he decided to drive over to her condo. McCall was one of the few people in 1984 who had a phone in their vehicle. As he drove over to her condo, he kept calling her, but no one picked up. When he got to the condo, he knocked on the door several times, but he heard nothing inside the condo. He called again from his truck, and he could hear the phone ringing in the condo. So he knew that nothing was wrong with the phone. Then he remembered Samoda talking about the convenience store, so he drove there. He didn't see Samoda on the way there, and she wasn't at the store. McCall asked the clerk if he saw Samoda, and he said he hadn't seen her. McCall then drove back to the condo and decided to call 911. Here is a recording of the actual call. What's the problem, sir? Um my girlfriend called me, said there was a man in her apartment using the
0: bathroom and the phone, and now I cannot get her to answer the phone. Our car is here and she can't will answer the door or can't answer the
1: door. A couple officers arrived at the condo complex and the building manager let them inside Smo's condo. In the bedroom, they found a gruesome crime scene. Twelve year old Angela Samoda had been stabbed 18 times in the chest and 10 of the stab wounds had punctured her heart. Two stab wounds were so deep that they hit her spine. The stabs were so brutal that her chest had partially caved in and her heart was sitting on the outside of her chest. The medical examiner also determined that she had been raped. The police thought that this type of rage suggested the murder was personal. Also, there were no signs of forced entry or a break-in. So the police thought that Samoda most likely knew her killer and felt comfortable letting him into her apartment at that time of night. So the police started investigating the men in her life. Angela Samoda was an attractive young woman and she had lots of admirers. Her friends said that men would leave notes on her car. But well, the first person the police investigated was Ben McCall. They thought that his story was suspicious. By all accounts, Samota was a smart woman. Why would she do something dumb like let a strange man into her apartment at that time of night? To the police, it seemed like McCall was giving them a fictional suspect. Plus, at the time, telephone records weren't kept the same way they are today. So the police couldn't confirm if Samoda called McCall. Another problem for the police was McCall's 911 call. They thought he was a bit too calm when he called. Once again, here's a clip of the actual phone call. What's the problem, sir? Uh, my girlfriend called me. She said there was a man in her apartment using the bathroom and the phone. And now I
0: cannot get her to answer the phone. Our car is here, and she can't answer the door. Or can't answer the door.
1: They said he wasn't panicking, and he didn't seem worried. The district attorney said he was mellow and feelingless. McCall was able to come into the condo with the officers, but he stayed in the living room while they searched it. When the officer told him that Samoda was dead, McCall didn't ask any questions, like how she died. This seemed unusual to the police. Many people would ask how their loved one was killed. So they suspected that he might not have asked because he already knew how she died because he was the one who killed her. Whoever killed Angela Samoda would have gotten a lot of blood on them. But there was no blood on McCall. It was quite the opposite. He was wearing a freshly pressed shirt and he smelled of soap. The officers thought that this was odd because he said that Samoda had woken him up on her way home and then she had called him about the strange man in her condo. After that call, he drove over. If he was concerned about his girlfriend, wouldn't he have rushed to her condo? Why did he take the time to wash up? Also, why did he clean himself up? Wouldn't getting to her condo be most important? The police's theory was that McCall was mad that earlier that night, she went out with a student named Russell Buchanan. McCall then went over to her condo and raped and murdered her in a jealous rage. Another suspect was Samoda's ex boyfriend, Lance Johnson. Samoda and Johnson dated when they were in high school and during Samoda's first year at SMU. He seemed to be obsessed with her. Even after they broke up, he would drive over 360 miles from Amarillo to Dallas on weekends, uninvited, just to try to see Samoda. Johnson was considered a suspect because he was known to have a temper. One time, Simona called her friend because Johnson was in her apartment and he was cutting up her clothes with a knife. He had also threatened her with a knife. Since Simona was viciously stabbed to death with a knife, Johnson found himself at the top of the suspect list. But the police had other men they considered persons of interest. One of those men was Russell Buchanan. Buchanan was an SMU student and he was studying architecture. He had met Samoda at the Mixer a few weeks before her murder. According to some people, he was infatuated with Samoda. Buchanan denied he was interested in Samoda. Buchanan lived about five minutes away from Samoda. Buchanan told the police he was home alone when Samoda was murdered, which wasn't a very good alibi. The police theorized that after Samoa dropped him off he walked over to her condo. He talked his way into her apartment. He then tried to convince her to have sex with him but she turned him down. He snapped and then raped her. Then, since she could identify him, he murdered her. Buchanan also did something suspicious after the murder. He left town for about 24 hours. He said he went to Houston to go to a wedding. The police were able to verify that he attended the wedding, but they were still suspicious of him. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few
0: seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios Enjoy the show.
1: A fourth person of interest was another SMU student named Patrick Barlow. Barlow had a crush on Samoda, and he had asked her out on several dates. But it turned out that he had an airtight alibi, so he was the first person eliminated as a suspect. The police had a valuable piece of evidence, the killer's semen. Since it was 1984, they could not create a DNA profile from it. But what they did know was that there were two groups of people, secretors and non-secretors. We all have a blood type, and a simple blood test can reveal what type of blood we have. For secretors, their blood type can be found in other fluids like saliva, mucus, and in men, semen. About 80% of the population are secretors. The man who raped and murdered Angela Samoda was part of the 20% of people whose blood type isn't found in other bodily fluids, which are non-secretors. So the police collected blood and saliva samples from the prime suspects. It turned out that the current boyfriend, Ed McCall, and the ex-boyfriend, Lance Johnson, were both secretors. Johnson also had an alibi for the time of the murder. He was at his parents' house hundreds of miles away, and then he was at work the next morning. Ben McCall's car and apartment were searched. No traces of blood were found in either. They also found no scratches or marks on his body that indicated he committed a violent murder. so they were both eliminated as suspects. But it turned out that Russell Buchanan was a non-secreter. He also didn't have a solid alibi, so he became the prime suspect in the case. But there was a problem with the theory that Buchanan killed Samoda. At first, the police initially thought that Ben McCall might have been lying about the phone call with a stranger being in Samoda's apartment. But since McCall didn't kill her, he had no reason to lie. McCall knew Buchanan, so Samoda probably would have mentioned him by name. Instead, she specifically said it was a stranger. The police ignored this fact and kept Russell Buchanan under surveillance for six months. They also brought him in for interrogation several times. They asked one of Samoa's friends, Sheila Gibbons, to have dinner with Buchanan, and she agreed. During dinner, Gibbons and Buchanan talked about the murder, and Buchanan was adamant they didn't do it. The police had Buchanan take a polygraph exam, and he agreed. He said he had nothing to do with the murder, that he knew nothing about it. Originally, it was determined that he was telling the truth. But then months later, they re-examined the results and decided that he was being deceptive. Buchanan then hired a lawyer and stopped cooperating with the police. Then several months later, he moved to London, England to do his master's. When their prime suspect stopped cooperating and was no longer living in the country, the detectives gave up on the case. So the case went cold. And it stayed that way for 20 years. During those 20 years, Russell Buchanan moved back to the Dallas area and he was a well-known architect. In 2004, a woman named Sheila Weissaki called the Dallas Police Department and wanted to know if any progress had been made on Angela Simoza's case. Sheila's maiden name was Gibbons. She was Simoza's friend from SMU. She was the friend who went to dinner with Russell B. Cannon at the request of the police. Wysocki met Samoda on the first day of classes at SMU, and they were roommates when they first started university. But then Samoda decided she wanted to live on her own, so she moved into her condo. Initially, they didn't get along. Wysocki said they didn't get along because she didn't like Samoda's boyfriend, Lance Johnson but they became close after they broke up. Wasagi told Daylight that before she called the police, she had been feeling her friend's presence for a while. The murder had completely rocked her. She didn't end up finishing university. She got married in 1988 and had two sons. In 2004, she was living in Nashville, Tennessee. One night she was doing homework for a Bible study class. She looked up and saw a vision of Angela Samoda sitting there. She wasn't sure if it was her friend's ghost, but it smiled at her and didn't say anything. After a few seconds, the vision went away. She knew it was a sign to inquire about the case. She called the Dallas Police Department and asked if she could speak to the cold case unit. They informed her they didn't have a cold case unit. Instead, she was connected with a detective in the homicide unit. She asked him if any progress had been made on the case. He told her that nothing had been done in the past two decades. Also, no one had called and asked about the case for 20 years. The call inspired Wasaki to do something about the case. She kept calling the police to see if they would reopen it. But, she was pretty much ignored. Over the next few years, she made over 700 phone calls to the Dallas Police Department. One problem was that Dallas had a high murder rate. So, their police department didn't have a budget to create a cold case unit because all their money went to investigating new homicides. Wysocki lived in a gay community in Nashville, and she was venting to the head of security about her problems with the Dallas police. The head security suggested that she get her private investigator's license. If she did, she might be able to access information that wasn't available to civilians. She thought it was a good idea, and she started studying for her private investigator's license. She successfully got it in 2008. After Waisaki became a private investigator, she contacted the Dallas Police Department once again and she asked to see the case file on her friend's murder. But they continued to brush her off. They told her there wasn't much evidence to work with. They said that the rape kit was lost in the flood in 1990. Without the rape kit, they couldn't do a DNA test. This didn't sit well with Wysocki, so she kept calling. One day, she was talking to a rookie detective. He looked at the file, and he said he didn't think the physical evidence was lost. He said that he would look into it and get back to her. But he never called her back. Finally, in 2008, the Dallas Police Department assigned two detectives to investigate cold cases. Wysocki was shocked when one of the detectives called her. She had received very few phone calls from the Dallas Police Department. The detective said she would reopen Angela Smoe's case. Wysocki thought that they opened the case because they were sick of dealing with her. In evidence, it turned out that they had swabs from the rape kit, which meant they had the killer's semen. They also had some of those fingernail scrapings where they could also get DNA. In 2009, they got the results of the DNA tests. A match had been made. For decades, Sheila was convinced that Russell Buchanan had killed her friend. She wanted to get the DNA tested so that he could finally be arrested. But, it wasn't his DNA. After getting the DNA results, a police sergeant called Buchanan and apologized on behalf of the Dallas Police Department. Buchanan told Dateline that he doesn't hold any ill will towards the Dallas Police Department. So if Russell Buchanan didn't kill Angela Samoda, who did? The DNA belonged to a 61-year-old man named Donald Andrew Bess. He was 36 years old when Samoda was murdered. and aggravated kidnapping, he was sentenced to 25 years of prison. But, for some reason, he was paroled in 1984 after serving only a third of his sentence. Seven months after he was paroled, Angela Samoda was killed. Vess was arrested in 1985 for three violent sexual assaults. He was convicted of one of them and he was sentenced to life in prison. This is why his DNA was in the system. Donald Bess went to trial for the murder of Angela Somoda in June 2010. The prosecutor said that Somoda caught Bass's attention earlier at a bar. He ended up following her home. He knocked on her door, and when she opened the door, he stepped inside. He was a large man, six foot three. He weighed 285 pounds. He asked for a glass of water and to use the phone. Samoda then went to the phone and called McCall. During that time, Bess looked around the apartment to ensure she was alone. He then grabbed a knife from the kitchen. He then raped Samoda and stabbed her to death. The defense argued that Ben McCall was the killer. By all accounts, Angela Samoda was a smart woman. So why would she do something incredibly reckless like let a stranger into her apartment in the middle of the night? They suggested that McCall killed her because he was jealous because she went out with Russell Buchanan. The defense said on the night Samoda was killed, she was dressed a bit risque and she was flirting with people at the bar. Any man at the bar could have followed her home and killed her. During the trial, Vess had a massive heart attack. He spent a few days in the hospital, but he returned to the trial after a few days. The jury deliberated for less than an hour. Nearly 26 years after Angela Simota was killed, he was found guilty of murder. He was sentenced to death. After helping get her friend's case solved, other people whose family members were murdered reached out to Sheila Waisaki and asked for her help so she continues to work as a private investigator. Weizaki also said she met with Russell Buchanan and she apologized to him. Donald Bass is currently sitting on death row at the Allen B. Polanski unit in Livingston, Texas. At the time of this recording, he's 73 years old. No execution date has been set. This will conclude the episode.